Hitting record. All right. All right. Tonight's guest, meme artist, creative guide, and author of the book, How to Laugh and Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis. It's a collection of memes, poetry, and short stories. Please welcome James McRae. How you doing? How's it going? What, Are you there? Yeah, okay. What's up, Float Universe? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. It's been, uh, we've been trying to set this up for at least six months, I feel. And it just keeps falling through on, uh, at least on my end, it's been very difficult to find. And, and you may hear during the course of this podcast, all kinds of things in the background, but hopefully not. But it seems like you've had an interesting year and a half as well after reading your book. Yeah, just to say the least, it, it seems like the the whole universe is is kind of in a bit of an upheaval and uh and as above so below so as 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 the as the world goes through you know big transitions and shifts i i, I feel like a lot of people on on an individual level are seeing similar shifts in our in our own lives and it's a, it's a time of transition and transformation on a global level and certainly on an individual level as well. Absolutely. And I think me and you, especially after going through your book, uh, I, I knew before with the memes that we had a lot in common, I think, across a lot of the lines of content and what we believe in. I've been struggling with some of these things over the past year as I you know, pick up concepts and sometimes you reject things that may not be in alignment. Um, so I guess... How did you get started? Did you did you were you an author first, a meme person first, or what? And also, what is a um, a creative guide? Yeah. So, well, a creative guide is basically something that I've been doing more recently, which is offering um, kind of creative creative mentorship to um, either individuals or brands. And also teaching uh, courses and workshops around creativity, um, you know, and just helping to, you know, activate and awaken, you know, the creative artist and magician that's inside of us all. Because I think we're all creative. It's just like we live in a society that doesn't always nurture those creative abilities. Um, so I've just, I've been an artist and a writer and an author, um, for, for many, many years. And I've worked with brands in various, you know, creative capacities. So as a cr creative guide, I'm essentially, you know, teaching, um, kind of the path of creativity and just helping to, you know, helping people channel their own, you know, inner artist and, and, and wake up their own inner child. Okay. So which came first with you? Did your spiritual awakening lead to the artistry or did your artistry lead to a spiritual awakening? Were you an artist first yeah. or a spiritual person first? I mean, yeah, they're, kind of, they're of, kind of almost the same, but a bit ahead. of both, you know, a bit of both, you know, I've been a, a, a writer and an artist my whole life. And uh, I've always been drawn to art and creativity that, you know, for lack of a better word, just kind of has some sense of uh, illumination or divine spark to it because I, I was raised as a lot of people ha have been in America raised Christian and you know that ideology never really 
stuck with me. Um, but it did give me from early on just like a sense of a relationship to the sacred, to God, to the divine, like whatever you want to call it. And since I was always drawn to creativity and art, I was drawn to artists who kind of had that spark to them. And I'm talking about like poets like Walt Whitman or Allen Ginsberg or even like Tupac Shakur, I feel had that. And he was a big influence on me. And let me, let me ask so you this. Uh, yeah. what, was your book inspired at all by Kanye's book? Uh, and let me tell you the name of that book. Here, I had it written down. Uh, what's the name of the book? Oh, it's uh, Thank You and, and You're Welcome. Have you ever seen it? Was that <laughs> no, inspired? I'm a huge Kanye West fan, but I'm not familiar with that book. <laughs> it's like, a, it's very similar to yours. Yours is more poetic and short stories, but uh, it's very much a very, each page has a little short little thing on it. Uh, but sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, I love Kanye. W- w- one thing that Kanye said that I loved is like, he said, if you're a fan of me, that doesn't mean you're a fan of me. It means you're a fan of yourself. And yeah. he just, he just kind of exhibits the self-confidence that um, is, you know, it's attractive to some people and it, it's repulsive to other people. Um, but, and you could, you could, you could, you could quibble over people's like personal lives and like, behaviors but in terms of um being a fan of art and artists uh yeah i definitely am a fan of kanye west but no i've i've always been a writer and um i've always kind of i've always seen creativity as a spiritual practice because like when you actually think about what creativity is like it's the most spiritual thing like doesn't matter what you're making a meme a painting a book like you're literally tuning your imagination into another dimension because <laughs> imagination is another dimension. And um, that's something that Terrence McKenna talked a lot about, but we're, re- we're, we're, we're tuning our antennas into another dimension to pick up on ideas that we then manifest into 3D reality. And if that's not like a spiritual ritual or practice, like, I don't know what is. So I just love that combination of like the spiritual and the creative and, you know, using creativity as a way to, you know, practice spirituality and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I've got so many questions here for you because I, the thing that I think brought me into or you, I can't even speak. What brought me into awareness of your stuff was a beam that had been circulating all over. And I guess this was before you started um, watermarking them. Because yeah. this meme has been passed around so much. It's the one with the guy in the middle with his face palming. And it's like, why does this always happen to me? I get born. I forget my true identity. I get caught up in the drama of material reality. Uh, my human avatar expires before I learn my lessons and then I get born again. So the cycle repeats. So I found that all over the place. And finally I reposted it and somebody was like, Oh, this is the actual account. And I'm like, that's how I found you. So um, people should watermark their stuff. And you, and you finally did. But uh, I saw, I also think sometimes when they're not watermarked, they get more potential to be viral and spread, you know, cause people can pretend they made it. And the, these bigger accounts, they can, you know, use that content for themselves. But that's how I came into awareness of your work was memes. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely embraced the watermark because I've just had too many memes go viral without a watermark and without credit. So it's like, I, I like the simplicity of memes without watermarks, but I've, I've learned to embrace it. And it's just about how you can integrate the watermark in a way that's tasteful. That's it. But also, I'm also a big believer in just like going with the flow, letting things ride. I mean, one of the most published pictures, and I, I had this intention years ago when I took one as a, foot, a photographer of the float tanks. I had this one picture. It was a really good picture. It was like a fisheye of the float room. And uh, I put it on Flickr with a Creative Commons license on it. You can use it, whatever you want, attribution. That'd be great too. And that has been one of the most published float tank uh, pictures and articles and stuff over the years. And, and, and luckily, you know, a lot of people didn't attribute it, but I didn't care. Uh, mo- a lot of people did. And there's enough of a, a, a digital trail on the internet. It's almost uh, uh, impossible to hide who you are. Um, if you know how to find through the websites where these memes are actually coming from. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey uh, reposting your content until I found out who was actually making it. So yeah. And I'd rather have, I'd rather have a meme go viral without credit than not go viral at all. Right. So right. it's not, that's the point. And, and it goes yeah. back to your idea of like, well, at least maybe it's the same idea I have, which is you're not really creating anything. You're kind of taking it from a higher dimension. You have the subset of tools that makes it possible for you to bring it into a reality, which is why sometimes you see concept ideas, inventions on the other side of the world being created simultaneously. Um, you know what I mean? People will fight over who created something. So I, I, mm-hmm. I believe that we're not actually creating i don't create anything i just assemble what's given to me yeah we exactly we kind of um yeah we're, we're channels to ideas and they come through and it's just like okay like i just got to keep up with all the ideas that are that are coming through it's like they're usually my best ideas are definitely usually subconscious downloads where it's like oh this just popped into my head so it's like can i take credit for something that pops into my head I mean, I guess technically you can, but at the same time, like I didn't do anything other than get myself in the right state of mind to receive that. Well, that's the benefit of the enlightened state of mind, which is I did not really create mm-hmm. anything. I don't have an ego over getting credit for it. And usually the ones that you're not claiming are the ones that go the farthest for whatever reason. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, God, why didn't I watermark that before I sent it out? And, and, it, and, it, and it gets to a point where it's got, oh, it's got 500 likes. Now I better just leave it alone. Uh, cause you repost it again with your watermark and then again, it's the magic's going to be gone. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I can tell a little bit how I got started into the, the meme game. Oh yeah. Um, because I was all like, I was already an author, um, to your point. Like I, I published my first book in 2017 and it was called, uh, shit your ego says, and it's kind of like an autobiographical self-help book that kind of deals with you know, the ego and the intuition and kind of navigating, you know, those two voices that are always inside of our heads. Cause I, at that time I was learning a lot about the ego and I was getting deep into like meditation and yoga and, um, was kind of being introduced to psychedelics. And I just learned a lot about my own mind and, you know, the different as- aspects of the mind, whether it's I- intuition or ego or the higher self or anxiety, whatever you want to call these things. Um, so I kind of wrote a book that was my own journey, um, l- like listening to the shit my ego says and learning to switch my focus and attention um, back to the intuition or the higher self or whatever you want to call it. 
So I was already a published author and that that book had some little little drawings and sketches in it which in a way were like prototypes for memes but they were just like little hand drawn sketches that I made. And that was my Instagram. My Instagram for the longest time was called shit your ego says and I would I would I would share like little pieces of writing, little pieces of poetry, little drawings, um, things like that, but not really memes per se. And I was living in New York City at that time. And we got out of New York City, me and my fiance, just before the pandemic happened. Like we were really lucky, like speaking of intuition, like my fiance just had this intuition to leave New York and we did. And we ended up um, in California so instead of being in this like small one bedroom uh, apartment on the ninth floor of this Manhattan apartment building, which would have been awful to be quarantined there, we ended up in Topanga uh, outside of LA, like with a house and like hiking trails in our backyard. So we really lucked out. We ended up in um, a great place for that. And that's when the pandemic happened. And really like that like the world turned upside down in such a weird way and not just because there's a like a virus or whatever but like all of it like the politics that were happening at the time all of the drama around Donald Trump like all of the all of the conspiracy theories that were coming out at that time from you know, child trafficking to the Wayfair cabinets to Bill Gates. And like, there was like so much weird stuff going on in the world all at once. And like regular writing just like didn't cut it because the world was too weird to like, just write something simple about, about it. Like I had to go back to like writing poetry. And then I started making memes um, just because they were, a, a new art form that allowed me to like express the absurdity of the world at that time. And, uh, and it really, it really happened when um, after a year in LA, we moved to Austin, Texas, which is where we live now. And it, it was really funny. Like as soon as we moved here, like I started channeling memes like crazy, like memes just started coming through me. And I remember a specific moment, like I, I, I had just eaten an edible and I was laying on my couch and I was listening to this recording of Terrence McKenna. It's like an album of Terrence McKenna talks like set to electronic music. So it's like, you're listening to electronic music, but it's got like a Terrence McKenna, like, like lectures in the background mm -hmm. and he was doing this speech um, called meme magic. And it was just him talking about memes. And like, I was laying there and I was super stoned and I feel like I got some kind of a weird transmission because I was listening to him talk about memes. And then I just started making memes while laying there. And, and then I pretty much never stopped. And that was like a year ago. And so prior to that, I had really had not make, made many memes at all. But then after, after that, I just like, and my Instagram was like, I would post like once a week and it was, it just wasn't that active. I didn't have that many followers. And then, and then like, I just, I've been posting like once or twice a day since then. 
And I've just been like, just really exploring the meme as an art form. Um, and it's just like a fun, creative an effective way to communicate these days with everyone spending so much time on their phones and on Instagram. Um, so it's just like, I didn't plan it, but it just like, it became pretty much my primary mean means of creative expression. Yeah, no, I, I think it's the, I used to, I used to disagree, but now I really think it's the only real true art form left, which is in terms of like truthfulness. And then there's a lot of fake news bullshit out there that are memes themselves, but in terms of like what's going on on the streets and the ear to the ground, like the, the heartbeat of what's really going on. It's, it's the memes are where it's at. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see like art museums are, you know, not everybody can go to art museum, but everybody can look at their phone and go to Facebook or Instagram. And I just try to pollute these, you know, reverse what's going on with the, the, their propaganda. And so it's been a very powerful tool in that respect. So getting into your book, there's a lot of things, a lot of stuff, a lot of topics. What, I mean, just right off the bat here, did you really watch CNN on peyote? <laughs> I'll never tell. No, um, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, um, peyote is one thing that I have not tried yet, but I, I was, I was, I was, I just had an idea in my head, like the title came first. And like, I just had this idea for a poem called watching CNN on peyote. And I just thought it was so funny that I had to do it. So I had to figure out how to write, <laughs> how to write that poem, but it, it was, it didn't, it didn't actually happen. Unfortunately. I like the structure of the book. It seems like there's a, a running narrative, I guess, with you and your partner and uh, throughout the book. And then there's short stories. Uh, and then like, like, I guess the short stories would be like perspectives from another person's point of view, like an alien or five dimensional star seat, I think was another one of them. Yeah. And then you've got the memes and then you've got the cartoons. Now you, you, I think you answered this. You drew the cartoons all yourself unless otherwise stated. Because when you quoted people, you would put the person you quoted. But I guess every cartoon was drawn by you. Yeah, they're all, all the art's done by me. Um, the drawings are done by me. And I mean, they're just really like, like stick figure type drawings. So <laughs> they're not too amazing, but it's fun to, you know, I just wanted a variety of content in there. So it's like, you can flip through it and see poems. You can see memes, you can see short stories, you can see little quotes. And I just wanted like, almost like the same experience you get when you scroll Instagram or Twitter or something. And you have like a multimedia content stream that's constantly engaging. I kind of wanted to replicate that same feeling, but in book form. That's what I try to do with this podcast. And funny enough, your book is very similar to something I'm working on, where it's just trying to put this account into meme form or into book form. Uh, and, and it's primarily just like, I'm just taking memes that I, I'm taking memes of a certain subject matter and putting them in chapters and then taking my own and then citing the other. If there's another artist that's amusing their meme, I'll put it in. It's, I want it to become almost like a textbook or a manual you could use. Another inspiration I'm taking from, and you may have never heard of this, but this is a book I used to have as a kid called, it was like the Simpsons family album. And it was all this, it was all cartoony. Like it was the real Simpsons family album, but inside of it was all this bonus material from the show. So something like that, tidbits. So you very inspiring that I'm interviewing you. And by the way, People that are listening, if I'm struggling, it's because this is the first interview I've done since three months ago, four months ago. I've been on other shows and stuff, but you're the first person I'm interviewing uh, in, a, in, a, in a while. So like, like for this season, you're like episode one. So 
thanks for being on again. Mm, it's my honor. Thank you. Um, the problem with the problem with making a, a book out of memes, I found one of the problems is that so many of the best memes um, rely on copyrighted material. Well, my workaround is to just trace them. And, oh, and, and, and trace to, them. Trace them to a point where they're recognizable, but they're not. Or, you know, or somehow, somehow make them my own. You know what I mean? Like take the initial concept and keep pushing it to a point where it becomes recognizable, but just unrecognizable enough where you're not in that territory. Yeah, that's a great idea. I never thought of that because I had to limit the amount of actual memes in the book. It just because, you know, a lot of memes are just like, there's no way to copyright them because there's just like a little, a little drawing that you'll never trace back the ownership of whatever little um, well, that was the, that was the MS thing. paint drawing. Exactly. I was going well, I was going to make it more in like the, 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 the soy Jack type artistry, yeah. like just make a book out of that and be like float universe, the book. But and another thing about writing a book and, and maybe you can help as an author, but I feel like I can't write a book because my story's not finished yet. You know, do you feel like you've reached a point where you, or, or, or you couldn't write a book before because you hadn't reached a point where the story was finished and, it, and it, you know, it's like an ongoing narrative. That's, that's what I feel like my issue is. Like, I feel like the story's never done being told. Yeah, it's not. Um, so I think like a book, just like all work of art is just a moment in time. And it's a reflection of that moment. You know what I mean? So it's like, you'll have more right. stories to tell. You'll have more stories to tell, but you know, like it's a time, every, every piece of art is a time capsule. Like that's why, like even my new book, I made a point at the very beginning. Cause I, you know, it's, it's definitely a reflection of these times. Like I, I didn't. It, it definitely you, is. It definitely is. If you, yeah. If you look at like, television and movies today like the new stuff coming out there's no real they don't really exist in the real world that we live in today they're kind of like sweep everything under the rug so i wanted to write a book that was like a true reflection of what it felt like to be alive in 2020 and 2021 so i made a point at the beginning to say like all all of this was created like between late 2019 and and early 2021 so it's like yeah, I'm going to learn a lot more lessons and I'm going to have a lot more life experiences that can, can go someplace else. But like this piece of work um, represents this chapter in my life and like my thoughts at this time. And I might change my thoughts. I might change my mind. I might learn new things. I might not agree with what I wrote today in 10 years, but it's like, that's okay. You're just like, you're just capturing a moment in your, in your life. And, and like, it doesn't have to be like super definitive, like represent your whole right. Well, the other, the other struggle is to make something timeless, right? And you put politics into something and it instantly becomes dated. True. That's the, that's the challenge of comedy writing as the challenge of making some kind of movie or cinema with the, the goal, like for example, 2001, some kind of magnum opus of work uh, that's what i'd like to have right out the gate and this should be done like the Tao de ching i just write what i know here you go let me out of the city bye-bye enjoy the masterpiece just let me just shit one thing out and so that's why i'm waiting i just i guess get a, and that's not my perfectionism because i learned that perfectionism is a subtle form of self-hate it's never good enough um but anyway i want to get into the book because there's just so much so many topics we can branch off to by just going through just i, I made lots of notes as I went through it. 
you, you like to, oh, by the way, you have a pod, our podcast. It's what is the homesick alien? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I do. My podcast is called Homesick Alien Club. Oh, but, yeah. But I'm going to, um, I'm going to do some brand consolidation. So I'm actually going to be rebranding it to just being called Words Are Vibrations. Yeah, I like that. And it, it is. We're, we're casting spells with the words we speak. And uh, you, so you do, you believe in the power of manifestation through uh, speaking words into existence? Yeah. I mean, that, that name, like the name of my Instagram, Words of Vibrations, like that just came to me. Like, I didn't even really put much thought behind it. I just like was sick of having shit your ego says as my Instagram account because the book had come out like years previously. And I just feel like I needed a fresh start. And I just, Words of Vibrations just came out. So I, I didn't really have a lot of thought behind it. But since then, I've, I've realized like that it is a pretty powerful statement. And like, yeah, I mean, words, you know, you can, you can go, you can just say on a, on a basic level that, you know, words are keys that can get us into like any door. Like, for example, you can talk your way into being president of the United States. You can talk your way into getting a job. You can talk your way into a relationship. Like our words carry a lot of power. Um, and you can go so deep as, you know, I've been reading a lot of Terrence McKenna lately, and he believed that like language was literally the source code of reality. Yeah. And uh, like, that's another reason like, why I'm afraid to write is a lot of times just thinking of things, they happen to me. And I'm like, fuck, man, I feel like if I write it down, it's going to be like I'm writing uh, I'm like writing some reality I may not want to experience. And so I kind of. If you if you want to write for me at least I'm like I only write positive things because I, I honestly I just want to write dystopia and hard horrible things, but so that's why I remove myself because I'm not trying to feed into the AI matrix or whatever you believe that's like out there the dark undercurrent that's pushing us forward sometimes. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Back to you. Yeah, no, that's like so. Um, yeah, I just like the idea of that. You know, we we can create our reality through the power of our words and. You know, that's why even if I even if I address like dark issues, because I think I got into some trouble earlier on with, um, you know, getting into political fights online a little a little bit. And, you know, I, I've offended various people and groups with memes at, at different times, you know, because I mean, me- memes are by nature a little bit of a provocative medium, like that's why they're popular because they, that's why I like them too. They I'm, I'm trying to shock you into a new awareness with this yeah. little, with a little tiny micro dose of whatever this is. Yeah. They poke and provoke and challenge, you know, conceptions. So that's, what's good about them. And, you know, that can be offensive to some people in different ways. So that's just gotten, that's just made me a better writer because now I, I I'm just more careful with my, my, my wording. So now like I'm able to, address you know issues whether it's like dystopia or conspiracy theories or um politics i i'm careful enough with my wording where i can address them in a way that is not offensive and that's not because i'm like but you're, you're centered it, like, you're I, centered being i mean i think uh, as a byproduct of your centered oneness that you get to be in the space of tricking both sides sometimes into arguments that's what i do and i don't I realized that I was doing it on accident, but now I just do it on purpose. Mm, yeah, exactly. Like I can, it, get, 
Yeah. You can see, you cause like there's, there's always a higher truth above the argument. Like I think a lot of the arguments that people are in today online over politics and whatnot, I think they're like, just ma- they're like manufactured arguments. Well, for sure. That are, for sure. I mean, it's the Twitter echo chamber that is yeah. guiding public opinion on a lot of things. Yeah. Which is mostly like, there's so many bots online that are helping to um, stir the pot and mo- people think that there's this big argument going on on Twitter and it's like literally bots arguing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> which is nuts. So anyway, I just try to like elevate the conversation so I can address the issues, but like above the fray of the petty fighting elements. So you can like, like I'm always like, well, what's the higher truth above the disagreement and i try to like i try to work on that level and that's kept me um from not getting like too many people upset with me and it's also helped me not to get censored because yeah I no mean, as, it, as I, you I know your, <laughs> i saw your account i'm like wow he he's avoided be masterful at it. I, I decided to not be masterful because I enjoyed just the arguments in the comment section and triggering. And I just got an entertainment value out of it because that was really the point of my account at some point. I'm like, you know, I'm like, at this point, I've, I've taught what I needed to teach and I just want to entertain myself. But you've been a master at putting out content, putting your views out and enlightening both sides. It's been it's been interesting to watch because it's an art form. Thank you. I, I, I just I, I don't I don't like friction. I don't, I don't like to like, like, I just don't want people to be mad at me. That doesn't mean that I shy away or that I, I hide my truth. I just have learned to be artful with my communication. And it's like, I've been a poet for decades. Right. So like, right. that's my background. So poetry is like the artful use of language. So I've really just tried to apply my, the, the writing skills I've developed as a poet into the world of memes so it's just like has a different kind of subtle effect that isn't as direct or pointed as some like political statements that are out there well right yeah the spiritual stuff is timeless and and it's great that you can and i need to do this more myself go and and repackage timeless spiritual truths in digestible forms for the modern age uh, because people's uh, limited attention spans and the medium now is the phone uh, or, or, or YouTube. If you, I saw you had a little bit going on YouTube, but you didn't, you don't have much of a YouTube presence. It's, but you have lots of interviews though from other people. So people should check that out. If they want to hear more of you after this, there's plenty of interviews, any questions. I've got plenty of questions still and lots of stuff to talk about. Let's keep it moving. If you don't mind. Uh, let's see. One of my favorite quotes as going through it, may you be strong enough to be gentle. Now, I, I think I understand what that means, but could you explain that for the people at home? May you be strong enough yeah. to be gentle. Yeah. Well, I, I don't remember what I was thinking when I wrote it. I, I remember just like writing that in a notebook in a hotel room, like a couple years back, but it's like, there's strength that exhibits itself through force. And that's like kind of the default Western view of strength is like whoever has the most force is the strongest. Whoever can push their way to the top is the strongest. Whoever has the biggest military is the strongest. And I would just challenge that. You know, I, um, you, you mentioned the Tao Te Ching, like that's probably my favorite book. I was about to say the book um, is very Taoist, very Taoist book. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've been reading the Tao Te Ching for years. And whenever I read it, I feel like I'm reading it for the first time because it's just that timeless poetic wisdom that you can, whatever you're dealing with at that time, you can apply to um, what what the book says. So it was more of like a Taoist perspective on strength. And it's like, well, true strength is gentleness, like not having to prove um, right. strength, not having to use force, but just like being being confident enough to be soft. And that is like a, that's like truth, true strength. Well, yeah, it, it comes to, in layman's terms, it's like an ego issue. Like your ego wants to be so powerful and, and, and express itself and dominate and have, have the illusion of control. But you've really got the knowing is that the universe is flowing through you and absent your ego, you can have, you can have that power of the gentleness versus the egoic force, which is very, very limited. Um, and so my, I took from that what you just said, but also, you know, it takes a lot of strength to be able to suppress egoic tendencies. Sometimes you don't always have the, um, you know, the universe is a master at triggering out in you what, uh, you know, needs to be pulled out. And it's, it, it, as much as you feel like you've got something mastered, it's always going to, I feel like it's always trying to test me on my, my knowledge. And like, do I really need to, to this person who is nothing more than a, a reflection of me, do I need to tear them a new asshole or can I be forgiving? Can I be kind? Do I need to take something from them? Do I need to dominate and have power? So I like that quote. May you be strong enough to be gentle. Very, your book is very Taoist too. So I love Taoism. I am too. I think many times over, I was a Taoist in a former life. Um, but, and I think part of my mission has been, I think yours is too, if I'm not mistaken from your upbringing, which is to reconcile the truth of Christianity with the truth of like Taoism. And really it's the, it's like everything's trying to explain the oneness of the unexplainable universe. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that, um, I think every religion, every philosophy is just a metaphor for the same truth. Like, it's like silly to me that people argue over religion and philosophy. It's like multiple novels can exist at once right no one argues like which novel is right because they're all just artful interpretations and yeah, expressions they're not and i think well, religion is similar to that a lot of these religions uh, scare people with eternal damnation though that's the difference between uh you know well that's what i'm saying like they they it, um you know i i think that they're all just metaphors for the same truth and they but they they're positioned as the ultimate truth. And I, I look at religion more, more like I look at art where it's like, Oh, that's a cool theory. That's a cool mythology. That's right. a fun one. I enjoyed that. Like, I think religion should be closer to just different mythologies. Like there's room for different mythologies. There's not always room for different strict religions. So it's like, I'm just trying to find you know how like joseph campbell went through all the different myths to find all the different themes right. yeah. that he pulled out into the hero's journey it's like for me like religion and philosophy are similar like what are the common threads um that they all share that point to some underlying truth without getting caught up in you know the actual literal story of the of the myths yeah. Another comment you had very similar and it was a quote, but it was like, I guess maybe somebody had said to you, it's not about trying harder. She said, softness opens doors that force cannot move. Was that your girlfriend or yeah. your wife? Well, I mean, I, sometimes I, I wrote, 
like a lot of the the book says like oh like she she told me or something right, like right, that right right and it's not always a true like someone somebody told said me it, it. To I, I just you it's like i'm all i'm almost using characters to a, to um to portray something especially with like it's like it's one thing to be like oh here's a wise statement that i thought of but when you put it into a character's uh voice it sometimes like softens the message in a way that makes it more easy to digest so it's not as like didactic and preachy because you're more like creating characters who are telling a story yeah yeah i i definitely understand that uh and i I thought that maybe what was going on here and it was all basically your your voice through your hand through your fingertips but uh thanks for clearing that up the next one i wanted to talk about was have you ever had a dark night of the soul? I mean, obviously I would imagine unless you've come to this earth already fully enlightened, you've probably had a dark night of the soul, right? Definitely. Yeah. I think that how, how many years was I've, that for you? Or was it just a day? <laughs> um, I've had, I mean, I've had a, f- probably a few, um, I don't know. You know, well, I let, think let me that... define for people that don't know what uh, a dark night of the soul is. Let me give you my definition and see where yours uh, fits in. So mine is like, you're an unawakened person. You've accumulated all this unconscious stuff, but you also accumulated the mastery to work through it, you know? And so the dark night of the soul is where the enlightenment begins is where, you know, that I think, yeah, the hero's journey, all that stuff, that's where it starts. And it starts with your ego being cut off from a lot of things that used to be commonplace every day you know your life before you started to awaken then you awaken all these things that are upside down wrong your diet your your lifestyle what you believe your thoughts uh you're believing your thoughts all these things happen and the dark night of the soul is the the shift between the two states of being it's kind of like caterpillar is the egoic life the unenlightened uh unconscious life and then you've got the caterpillar in the cocoon which is simultaneously the butterfly and the, uh, you know, it's just a thing of goo inside of a little, a little pod. And then the butterfly comes out enlightened and transformed. So that would be my best in my, in my dark night of the soul was years. It took me years to, first of all, go through the dark night, which was having everything just stripped away from me. Uh, things that were no longer serving my true enlightened purpose. And then I, I went, I had greater and greater peak experiences, both with and without psychedelics and then finally, maybe in the last year or two, I've seen the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm utilizing everything I've learned uh, across the journey. Not to say that I'm a full butterfly, but uh, I'm popping out of the cocoon. Now, what, what would you call a dark night of the soul? Yeah, I agree with what you said. I um, So do you think you like each person kind of has one or is it can it be a process where you have you might have multiple. Yeah, might I, have I multiple. really would not want to have multiple. You know, a, a multiple maybe would infer that you haven't learned. Well, you haven't w- awoken to something, and it's yeah. Now you've got to awaken again. Do you feel like you've had multiple? I feel like I've maybe had multiple um, smaller dark nights of the soul, as opposed to like one major one. But I do have one that comes to mind, like more than others. So. I grew up in a very small town in Minnesota. Um, so I like, I spent like my first, you know, up until my you know mid twenties in, in Minnesota. And then like, I had always wanted to move to New York city. And um, I just, just never did for various reasons. Like I just, 
didn't know anyone there. I didn't know what I would do there. I just, it was just like this, like um, a calling that I felt, but couldn't really explain. And then I finally did it because like, I was, I lost my job. Like my girlfriend left me and I had nothing to lose and I had no reason to stay anymore. So I finally like gave away all my possessions, like gave up my apartment and moved to New York city without having much money and a plan. And I didn't know anybody there. Um, but I was like trying to follow my, you know, what I felt was like a calling to, to live there. And I, I got to New York and I applied for every job that I could find in like advertising and branding, which is what I was doing at the time. And I couldn't get a job to save my life. <laughs> and then like, I'm already running out of money and I had just got my first apartment. And then this was 2020, 2012. And then hurricane Sandy hit New York city and destroyed my apartment. So I was out of work, didn't have any money. And now I was homeless and like, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I have a friend that like was also homeless from the hurricane. Let, let me, let, like, let me interrupt real quick. Now, yeah. Were you a spiritual person when this was happening? Cause one of the things I forgot to say was I was not really a spiritual person before the dark night of the soul. And I came out of it very much, obviously the different person. Were you a spiritual person before you made this big jump or was it kind of a, a, a slow awakening or you already awakened I, prior to this. I was kind of, I was kind of in the process of like, I would say like the spiritual awakening began a few months earlier when I lost my job back in Minneapolis. Yeah. That's that like, like the, that's that, like the classic it's like symptoms of a dark night of the soul. Yeah. Like you lose your job. So that's when the rug was ripped out from under me. And that's when like, like that's when I just started to question reality and like I would, I went on like YouTube rabbit holes and I was finding all this, you know, just this deep esoteric truth that I never knew before. So I was, the ball was already rolling at that point. But then when I became homeless in New York, that's when it like, it just really escalated. Um, so my friend was like, oh, I've got this friend that has this empty cottage on this small island in the Caribbean. And he's like, let's, let's go there for a while. And I had nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. So we went to this small island called Culebra. And that's kind of where the dark night of the soul really um, crystallized because I was like stranded on this remote island and I, I didn't know, um, you know, what I would do next, if I would go back to New York, if I had to go back to Minnesota, like I didn't have a job, I didn't have any money. So that's when I was kind of like at the end of my rope and I had no choice but to just kind of trust and find faith that this was leading me somewhere that I couldn't see where it was leading me yet. And that's actually where the, my first book came from. Cause I was like, I was like stranded on this Island and I was left alone with my own thoughts and my own mind. And that's when all of my like fears and insecurities came to the surface. And that's when I recognized like the voice of my ego. And that's where my first book shit. Your ego says was born from this experience of me being homeless on this Island. So like it actually was leading me somewhere but I couldn't see it yet. And I had to just trust and have faith that, you know, there was a purpose to all of this. And uh, 
So I think that was probably my biggest, you know, dark night of the soul. Yeah, no, it sounds like it sounds like a classic case of relationships and jobs and movement and uncomfortableness. And that's one thing I like. Uh, I've learned to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's one of my superpowers is uh, I can, I have no shame. I can just go in a situation. I can take a, I can take one for the team. I'll do, you know what I mean? So that's one thing I don't like about Dark Knight of the Soul stuff though, is you, you get in those situations where you're abandoned, but you know, you're not abandoned. The universe is always, you are, you, you, you are that. So it's like, I know if I just relax, I'm going to take care of myself. But it's a, a lot of times it's like routes the ego normally wouldn't take, but for the fact that you're stuck on an island or you're on the side of the road with a flat tire. That's happened many times post enlightenment where now I get a flat tire or something like that happens. I actually like it because I'm finally in a situation where I'm not in, in, a, in a perceived control situation. Because really the truth is, I don't think we have any control at all. We're watching something that is, and, and you go into this in your book, and I want to ask you about free will and stuff. We'll get into that. But so I always like availing myself to uh, a, a loop of outside the loop of my perception of control, you know, outside your normal schedule usually is what, what happens. Like, yeah, you're on an island alone. I'm sure you understood that concept, but also you had to probably do some things that normally you wouldn't do, right? Yeah, I mean, you, wrote, you wrote a book. I mean, that's one of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's easy to say like, oh, you know, everything happens for a reason and the universe is conspiring in your favor. Like it's, it's easy to say those things, but then when you're in a moment when like you have no choice, but to rely on those things for your own <laughs> like sanity and peace of mind, um, you know, that takes a lot of, I don't know, like you, 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 you find mental fortitude in those moments because you have no other choice. And then I think it just makes you stronger. I think it does make, it makes the trust and faith muscle stronger to, to avail yourself to circumstances. And I did this a lot as a wedding photographer. It was potentially a handful of chaos on a wedding day. And a lot of times the variables wouldn't allow, allow themselves at least to show the bride in a good way. And we'd have just mental chaos, you know, people anxiety, which is the problem people worried about something that's yet to come. And it usually doesn't even come. So I was always just, my job as a wedding photographer was more like chilling people out, you know, maintaining as the most powerful energy in the room was to maintain my center. Cause the minute I lost my center, I started to get that reflected reality back to me more and more and more. So yeah, man. totally. Do you think that, um, cause we're talking about like our personal dark nights of the soul, but it kind of seems like this past two years has been like a dark night of the soul for the planet. You know, and I got to sit this out because I'm here in Florida and basically except for like a month, nothing really changed. Nothing really changed except for the insanity of the corporations who are global and national enforcing those things in the, the stores here in Florida. Because if Florida was its own little country, none of that would have flown here. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of guessing I know where you stand politically, at least after the past year of awakening, at least maybe yourself to deeper truths. Because I find a lot of people, and I don't know this about you, this may or may not be, this may be a judgment, but I used to think you were a little bit more liberal in terms of the status quo, the mainstream media. I don't know if you've changed over the year or if you're ever even like that to begin with, but how has that been in terms of coming to face some of these hard truths like human trafficking and election fraud and, you know, communism supposedly being slowly just dripped into every facet of society. I don't know where you stand. What's, what's the deal? What, what do you think? Well, first of all, I think that, um, 
making things political is a mistake like like liberal conservative like oh for sure i don't think these like have the same meanings like when we talk about the the politics that are going on in let's say washington dc like today like i don't i don't think that's those are politics at all you know i don't think it's <laughs> i don't think it's liberal politics i don't think it's conservative politics i think that there's a you know i think that there's a group of criminals that are that have hijacked the political system <laughs> right <laughs> no be, i to I, be, I to be frank <laughs> i would be i would agree but i'm i'm speaking yeah. to people who and most of the people that that follow you and me i think would agree with i think with they would agree with that so like um, but there's in, a lot of like, people that don't like, though and that's the wall you have to true. get around which is most people are actually npcs and i don't actually believe in the term that they're actually an npc but they're unawakened to the fact that these people that they're cheering for on either side of the aisle aren't their friends they're not they're not you know they got their agenda but, and it's just hidden. That's the thing. I mean, it's like traditionally I've identified as a quote unquote liberal in the sense of right. liberty and equality. And, you know, traditionally the liberal, um, right. The traditional liberal has been yeah. more like pro peace and anti war and pro freedom and anti tyranny, whatnot. So, like, that's, that, that that's been my traditional um leanings but i don't think that those um apply to like the current state of affairs in, in the world i think that people have um you know speaking of words our vibrations people have like hijacked our language and our causes um in ways that are not um genuine to the um you know to the to the messaging and I think people are just <laughs> really, you know, there's a lot of like mental um, hypnosis that's that's taking place, you know, orchestrated by the mainstream media, um, the leading political figures, et cetera. So a lot of people are kind of hypnotized by, you know, the media, by the messaging in the world. But most people, I mean, I don't know about most people, but a lot, a lot of people kind of aren't falling for it anymore um which is amazing to see especially like here in austin texas like is you know all right the second freest state in the yeah know, maybe 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 more than florida i'm not sure but another freedom loving big state there That's yeah cool. i'm grateful i'm grateful to be here uh <laughs> uh these days i'll tell you that Okay, let's move on here. Another quote I like is, art is a living artifact of pain transmuted by love. Explain that one. Yeah, let's see. Okay, art is a, art a, li- is a living artifact of pain transmuted by love. So that is essentially, you know, looking at what the purpose of art is in the world. It's like, you know, I think art is... Um, the purpose of art is to transmute pain into, into love in a way. Like we all deal with, you know, our own pain and we can either sit with it or we can do something with it. And for me, I mean, there's different ways you can heal pain. Like there's different, you know, not everyone's an artist or called to do that. But for me, 
you know, if, if the world was so, 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 so perfect and pristine and paradise, we might not need to make art in the way that we do today. Cause I think that art is a way to take our fears, take our anxieties, take our struggles and to make something beautiful out of it. And that's like, that's a miracle, right? I think, to take I think that's something why I that's, suffer. Yeah. I think that's why I suffer as an artist because I've got it made in shade with a glass of lemonade. And I'm always like looking at other people's art, like, good God, what are these people going through? They want to express themselves like this. You know what I mean? So that's as an, I've always been a consumer of art from the perspective of a voyeur, like, holy crap, people live like this. This is their life. It's like rap music. I, my whole life listened to, to gangster rap music, enthralled by it as a teenager, as a young yeah. teen. And I'm like, what? This is not how I'm living. This is like another planet. What's going on here? Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've always I've, I've never understood that because, I, you know, I, I express my art is more like commentary and uh, humor and just like just stuff that I find interesting. But I've never really made any art that I've really consciously I think about it. No, not anything I've ever been. I mean, tr- thankfully, I've never been really traumatized, but uh, that's a really, really good point there that, yeah, you're transmitting your pain uh, into love through art. Well, even your memes, I mean, if you look at, you know, I think w- something both our memes do is just kind of reflect the absurdity of the world that we live in. Yeah. And that's, that's the same thing because, you know, you can just, you you, you can let the absurdity you know, I, t- just, I take that back. Though. I do. I do have an endless struggle with weed on that Instagram page that I constantly put into form, and and I just want to see the comments mm-hmm. of the people. I want to see people that are like, "Weed is the greatest thing that's ever happened," and don't talk bad about it. I'm going to kill you. Or it's like, "Yeah, I told you so." Or and then it's a lot. Of, do you smoke? By the way, are you 420 friendly? Yeah. Uh, over the past over the past couple of years, I've, it's something I've integrated into my routine a lot a lot more. Um, it's helpful for, like, I don't do any serious work with it. Like I, I couldn't write, um, anything in depth with using cannabis, but it's good for just like relaxation and like mental fun. Like I can make memes, um, on cannabis because it's just like, there's something about like, it's a fun yeah. little medium. So I can't, I can't do anything creatively too serious with it but i can like make memes or like write little like instagram essays or something like that so yeah i definitely experiment with it um both for relaxation and for creativity nice i definitely my is almost i think it's just fueled by weed really my memes and i was just my account started because i started floating I started having all these awakening things happen and I started noticing reality was just reflecting what I was kind of thinking and feeling in a very unique way. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, like we're all one here and I'm a node in this oneness and I'm got all these things that I'm really resonating with. What happened if I just put out my own residence field of junk drawer ideas with politics and psychedelics and personal experience and all the other stuff. And that's what you got is float universe but nobody was talking about floating too in the beginning and now a lot more people are have you ever floated by the way yeah only once where'd you float it was in new york city and this was no this was a while ago Ah. so when like because like i remember i just i just started listening to podcasts and joe rogan was one of them and he at the time he was talking a lot about floats 
float tanks. So I, I looked them up and like at the time there was hardly any, I think there was only two in New York city at the yeah, time. Yeah. And one was in this man's apartment. Oh yeah. That guy, I need to get a hold of that guy. Yeah. I think he's still doing it. Yeah. It was pretty interesting. Like he's got this Chelsea apartment and you go up to the fifth floor or whatever. And he's got, and he like welcomes you into his apartment and then you do a float. And then like afterwards he like brings you tea and you sit down and talk to him about it. So, so it's this very unique, like it's like a, it's like a, a service that he his offering. And he's like, he's like consulting with you afterwards to see how it went. But like, you're just in his apartment. It's a pretty unique situation. I'm going to look this guy up here real quick. I, I, I've heard about this guy a bunch of time. I think it's called, um, is it, is it blue light flotation? No, could be, could be. Yeah. He was very nice. Yeah. I've always wanted to do that. Now I don't know how he's set up there in New York. Maybe he's grandfathered in or because of the regulations in these States, some of these States, it's really hard to get a float tank put in because of it's, it's regulated like a pool or it's so new that they don't even have regulations. And so that's one of the hindrances to starting a float center. So if I was ever going to do floating again, I would probably do what this guy's doing, which was have my own thing and then let people come over and just chill with me and maybe charge them, maybe not. But um, I really thought about it. I'm like, you know, it's much, it's, it, if you just want to float, avoid trying to own one. It's, it, it's not easy to make a lot of money with floating. People aren't floating right now because of the pandemic still. It's not a good time to be in floating. It's a good time if you want to buy a float center. So anyway, enough of that. Um, how was your float at the, at, what was the experience like for you and how long yeah, was it? So, so I, if I remember correctly, it was, it would, it was either 60 or 90 minutes, probably 90 minutes. Yeah. I recommend the and, longer floats. Mm-hmm. My recollection of it was like, I had just left, I'm sure I just left my office in New York and I was, you know, probably stressed about something and it was busy. And then I get to his place, which is like an instantly calm environment. And he's just this very mild mannered person. And then I, you get in the float tank and yeah, it's like silent, um, completely dark. Was it like a Samadhi tank? Was it like a square or a, a pod or a room, like a rectangle? I think it was a rectangle. It's probably a Samadhi tank. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I laid there like forever. And my experience in while floating was not very significant. It was just like I was a little bored because I'm just, you're just laying there for 90 minutes. Were you a meditator like, before you floated? Yes, but not at that at that time, not majorly yeah but you know how to meditate yeah a little bit i know better now but i knew a little bit then but so i was a little bored but and i just kind of like you know went through it 90 minutes and then got out and for me when i got out that's when the experience began so like for the rest of the evening I felt completely like stoned and like, like my head was in the clouds. Oh yeah. God, I miss floated in months. The floating itself for for me was not significant, but as soon as I got out, that's when I had like a wave of like deep, like meditative, almost like euphoria Mm -hmm. that 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 lasted for hours afterwards. 
Yeah, that's that's you take the best selfies right out of the float tank. You decompress mm-hmm. the neck and spine and your psyche and you look good. The skin from the Epsom salt is glowing and it's amazing. Well, I'm glad you floated. We'll have to. So you're in Austin now. I think we got float, float, ugh, float friendly places in Austin. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a, I haven't gone yet, but I know there are. I've seen a couple around town. So uh, let me find the actual quote here. Cause the next question was going to be about free will, but you have a whole thing. I got to find it here. I have it in my notes. You have a, a whole breakdown on, uh, let's see, free will. Do you think free will exists? Um, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it does cause I want it to. Um, but it, that's like, it's kind of an, uh, a little bit unanswerable. Right. So my experience with psychedelics and out-of-body experiences and all the fun stuff in the float tank has led me to believe that there is no free will. You're watching your awareness is so glued to your experience that it can't just can't distinguish itself from the movie. And so you're so caught up in your film. It's actually you're in the theater, but you think it's real. You actually think you're in the movie. And so, so the, if, if it's already predestined in film, it's in the can, there's nothing we can do. And I've had many experiences of awareness where I've been outside in an exploded view of my life, experiencing it like I would as a, you know, like a third party, as a, as a participant in a movie theater or something. So it's, it's done, right? But I do, I do think within the movie there, and I think I'm trying to find what you said about it because you really had something good about it. Trying to find I don't it. remember, honestly. Well, I have my questions. That Well, that's one of my like, default questions I want to ask people about free will, because, you know, like I want to know in, in regards to my thoughts where everybody else stands, because one of the first takeaway from psychedelics was like, holy shit, like different modalities and vibrations of reality exist with just chemicals in your mind. It's like, what else am I missing here? How else is everybody? Am I experiencing things that people aren't experiencing or are they experiencing things? You know, so. I mean, I, I, I kind of oh, feel here, like here, here's your quote. Go, go ahead. It's, it's called born a long way from home. Mm. I was born a long way from home. Like everyone else finding our way back is why we're here. Destiny is real. So is free will. Nobody chooses their destiny, but we choose whether or not we get into the car and drive destiny is whichever unseen destination has the strongest gravitational pull. I like that one. Something you can't ignore a warm fire waiting somewhere just for you. All right. There's no map except for live the living compass inside your blood and bones and beating heart. So that's, that's your take on it from the book. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that was my take when I wrote it, you know, I, I, one thing about my work and my writing and like, and this speaks to your idea about writing a book as well. Like I give myself full permission to contradict myself and change my mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, anything I write, I don't, it's like, here is an offering of thought to consider and ponder, but like, I would never claim to know or have a true, like solid belief in much, but I do, I do still, I, I still do believe, I think what, what you wrote and that's in, in, in the sense that we're all here to fulfill a purpose. And that doesn't have to be some grand purpose. It's just like, we are here to, you know, um, with certain 
a certain destiny, like certain gifts, certain talents, which steer us in a certain direction. And that's basically based off our own, you know, interests and what we love to do. These are all pointing us towards our purpose, but we have free will. We have free will in the sense of whether or not we pursue that destiny. Like we can choose to not like we can choose well, to then it, get well, well, then I argue then it then I argue that it's not destiny because then how do you define destiny? Isn't destiny something that's already going to happen no matter what you try to do because it's destined to happen? There's no choice over destiny, it's just destiny. Or am I just wrong there? I think it's open for interpretation. I think that's one um, way of looking at well, it. That's it's the like, law school. And de- the, the, the lawyer in me wants to define the terms so mm. we can be on the same page. And so people at home will know what the hell we're talking about. Cause I'm sure there's a bunch of people that don't even know uh, a lot of this stuff is like a little bit, a little bit, if you're just into awakening and spiritual stuff or the stuff we're getting into, some of these things, a lot of times are right over people's heads or vibrationally, well, they're not able to like grok it or pick it up somehow. And they're well, tuner. let's, let's ground it by like comparing it to a video game. So like picture Mar- super Mario brothers, like, the point of the game, the only point of the game is for Mario to get to the castle and save the princess right. from, you know, Bowser or whatever the bad guy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's, like that. That's his, that's his destiny. Like the whole point of the game existing is for Mario to fulfill his destiny and save the princess. But like Mario might. He might get you all know, the mushrooms or he might not. He might get all the coins. He might not. Yeah. I, to- no, like, I totally agree our, with this. I totally in agree our with game, this. In our game, we don't, we, we can do whatever we want. We can, we can, we can, we can, like Mario can get addicted to drugs and forget about the princess. Mario could get a, a, a corporate nine to five and be too distracted by his daily activities to save the princess. Mario could move, um, move to the Amazon instead of saving the princess like we have all these choices that well, we can do though, he ha- but eventually he has to save the princess or he doesn't beat the game well that's right but we choose whether or not we like play you, the game you choose in between and that's why i tell people i'm like look man you can eat mcdonald's it's not the greatest thing in the world you cannot exercise a day in your life and you can still become enlightened now your physicality your existence within this lifetime may be a lot better if you do breathing exercises you don't jerk off you drink your own urine you, you know I don't eat mcdonald's eat the right stuff but i still don't think i still think you can have uh, a, a no god without having your physical form be perfect and i think a lot of people that are into spirituality struggle with that that uh you need to have your thing tuned a certain way and it, it certainly does help to have a clear clean system that's why i recommend floating be as relaxed and as calm and as quiet as possible. And floating really can take you away from all those distractions and physically pull your body into that stillness by default. And then it opens up that, you know, that quiet space of God. So you'll be 500 pounds, you can be 50 pounds, you can still access that space. But that time in between, you, yeah, you could collect all the coins. You could be rich. You could just go for the mushrooms. You know, you could beat every level with no coins and just get all the mushrooms and the power ups. That's me, what I'm doing. I'm just going through all the levels. I'm getting the mushrooms. I'm getting the fire spitting flowers. And uh, I get to the end of the level. I don't have any coins at the end, but I didn't need the coins. But I could collect the coins if I want. So I think that's what you're saying. We have the choice within the destined path. Totally. Or we could choose, you know, to just sit down on the ground and not 
move forward in the game at all. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you're right. We could die and reincarnate and the game starts again and yeah. have more lives to do it again. Is that what you believe? You think, okay, so you think we die and then if we don't wake up before we die or as we're dying, when we enter the white light, we get our minds erased and then we just get sent back here to try to figure it out again. What do you think? I mean, reincarnation seems to be um, a reasonable conclusion. For sure. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I always struggled as a Christian growing up being fed like, okay, if you don't believe this, you get one chance and you get sent to hell. I, that, that just never resonated with me with any kind of truth. No. And even that, you know, like that's maybe even painting a smaller picture of reincarnation because let's say like, let's, let's, let's reconcile both of those beliefs, right? Like you do get sent to earth and you do get a chance to figure it out. And then if you quote unquote fail, you get, let's just go, let's just say you get reincarnated as a, a a lower being or a, you know, in a, in a, in a worse karmic position than you were last time. You're you're reaping all the the consequences of your poor karmic. So that's still, so that's still the hell that is hell. Like that's still like they're different terminologies, but they're saying something, they're saying something similar. Like we often get caught up in, in, in language when these words have been translated and have come from different, like, like language origins. And again, like they're both like, it's all mythologies that are trying to explain the same thing, but none of them are, are literally true. Um, but yeah, it does, it does reincarnation, I think is a likely scenario. And I also don't feel like there's as much pressure on it as some quote, spiritual people make it seem like I need to reach enlightenment or reach the goal. It's like, and like it's it's a serious mission, right? To come here and like I need to like, you know, do everything right and follow all the rules and like be a very serious spiritual person so yeah. I can reach the end game. And it's like I I think it's a my perception of it, or maybe this is just based on my own natural disposition and my little bit of a you know a little bit of like the trickster archetype. Um. Oh yeah. You know, I tend to turn things into a joke rather than take them too seriously. So for me, it's like, well, that reincarnation, that could still all be real, but like, and you do want to reach, you know, some semblance of a, you know, enlightenment or whatever it's called, but it's also like, what if we're just like choosing to experience, you know, like this is just a movie that we're our soul is watching and we're choosing to incarnate into this particular virtual reality simulation for our own entertainment. Like what Alan Watts said, it's like life and all of re- reality is just God playing hide and seek with itself. I'm going to tell you, you're absolutely right. When you get to this point, when you go through an awakening and I don't know how, what yours, what, what was the catalyst? We'll get into that. But once you get to that point from going from dark to light and you see that it's so much easier, you can handle every problem. It, it, for one thing, you know that the universe is not going to give you more than you can handle. And so you can rest every day, just knowing, yeah, there might be some challenges today, but I know if I can rest in that oneness, move out of my ego, 
uh, and it's a practice too. I don't float all the time, but I still have maintained all these things from the acid and the mushrooms. I've done it enough. My problem is I need to work, right? I don't want to, I get truths from these things and it's like, I don't want to take it to the next level. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to eat the thing. I don't want to. So they give me the lessons. And, but then I say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to chill for a minute. And I'm, that's a trap to worry about the next life, right? Whether you are awakened in this life and you never come back or you got a thousand more to go, you should be happy right now and at peace. Yeah. I think enjoying it all is the, is the real success. Like exactly. That's what I mean. So we yeah, that awakening has like made every problem a joke now. And it's, and it was always there as a joke, but you just couldn't see it. Like if you're on this big, serious mission to reach the end, but every moment is a struggle along the way. Like, first of all, you're not going to reach some end. And, and, and if you do, are you going to be able to enjoy it when you just Right. made it's your whole life a struggle exactly the journey so it's not like the destination bro so are you happy in the moment are you enjoying the ride are you you know if you're not enjoying where you are now then what are you struggling to achieve it's like happiness isn't something outside of yourself that you have to attain it's just a you know a, a state of being that you fall into and that's what grace is and that's available to us at every moment. I agree. Destiny, free will. I think that all these things that are dualistic exist within the one. So I think there's a place for both. And so that's why I can never give a definitive answer on flat earth. It could be spheroid. It could be flat, but I think it's more of a realm of the mind, a mentation of whatever your vibration is attracting. And until you can get in a rocket and fly out far enough, you're never going to know for yourself. Yeah, it's, almost, love... it's almost a pointless exercise. One, one theory that I love and, I don't believe this because I don't believe anything <laughs> specifically, but I love, I heard someone say that, you know, the earth is round because the majority of people um, here believe that it's round. Right. We've but been, like, as, yeah, yeah, as, oh, yeah. as soon as there's a tipping point where the majority of people on earth believe that it's flat, then it becomes flat because perception is reality. That's exactly a, what I it, believe in a, in a literal sense. That, which is why I say it's a, it's a realm because I'm in the realm world where it's like my theory on reality is yes, yeah, like this organic holodeck that we're on that our, uh, our, our infinite awareness is observing something, but which is my life. And it's a very subjective portal I'm looking through, but this, this thing, I'm my awareness, my infinite awareness, which is really who I am is watching through these eyes. And what, what I'm receiving in this lifetime as the movie is this character's karmic propensities. Meaning if you believe in past lives, even the, even I, I more so believe in karma in the life you're in because it's, it just seems more fair. If you're gonna have karmic repercussions, they should be experienced in the life you can remember them by. Although I do not uh, totally exclude, perhaps I've come here to experience some things I just can't wake up to and they're just cyclically still hammering, hammering me. So that's my take on reality is I'm an awareness that has karmic propensities, which electromagnetically attract things in this reality that nothing's actually real. If you look at the science behind atoms and stuff, and it's, it's all these things you could go down to prove that reality is not really real, but at the same time, okay, but you can't say that because then everybody's just hollow and empty and, the, and you shouldn't be kind and compassionate, but the truth is they're actually you. So it's this real East West, Eastern thing of uh, not being what it is on its face because it's the duality. That's my take through all the things I've read and gone through and experienced, that's what I believe is happening. I'm an infinite awareness watching a movie that I do have some kind of um, choice over, but not fully. Yeah. I think that the idea that we live in a, in a realm is 
true. And another lesson I learned from Terrence McKenna is that the world, like the, the world is made up of imagination more than it's made up of matter. We live in the realm of the mind. And so for example, um, all of these, like, like outer space, for example, there's all these planets and all these galaxies. Do these really exist in physical space as much as they do um, exist in almost different dimensions? So for example, aliens and UFOs are are UFOs really traveling to earth across millions of millions of physical miles or is the difference one of dimension where you can travel in and out of dimensions? And I think that second option is a lot more interesting where it's like we live in a, in, in, in a, in a, in a reality beyond our ability to understand that is mind over matter and dimensional over physical space. And McKenna theorized that we were, that the evolution of humans into the space age was not literally to go through the the millions and miles of space to inhabit new planets, but it's to explore and evolve into the realm of imagination. And he thought, like psychedelics were a way to map that terrain. And even the internet is like tapping into that space. So it's like he saw like there's this relationship between the realm of imagination, the realm of psychedelics, and the realm of the internet. And our true evolution as beings is to psychically explore these dimensions that are not physical, but they actually are other realms that are available to us through the mind. Oh yeah. Be the glitch in the, be the glitch you want to see in the matrix is one of your yeah. sayings there. Uh, and here's another one I like, and it's kind of similar to what we were talking about. We're all asleep in heaven dreaming that we're, that we've left. Yeah. That's a nice little sentiment. Yeah, but the book's full of that kind of stuff. It's it's a, it's like a page of like one one or two little sentences, or it's a full page uh, short story, or it's a meme, and it's a hundred and sixty something pages. So it's a it's a good read. It's not a just little. Can do you would do you mind if I read a piece? Oh please, I got a bunch I was going to go through, but I'd rather well, hear it from your own mouth. Well, we'll just yeah, we'll 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 interrupt your flow because I I think this is like a good one for your podcast, and I thought about this while we were talking. Um, but I know that you like to talk about, you know, the world of conspiracy theories. Oh yeah. Well, we were going to get into that. I was, well, that's the lead the way. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm skipping ahead. Oh no, 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 no. That was like literally where I was going next. So if I'm going to read the whole thing. So I just had this idea once of like writing a, you know, so like what's, what's one of the most prevailing conspiracy theories is like, oh, the idea that there are reptilians that are controlling the earth. That's kind of like one of the most like foundational conspiracy theories. Oh yeah. Core. So per my like attempt to like add humor to things to make them less, you know, pointed and literal. 
I thought it would be really funny to write a poem that was about my own pet lizard that who was trying to take over the world. Um, so I wrote that and it's called building seven blues. Oh yeah. I have, I have this in my notes. I was going to, so yeah, please, please read it. That'd be great. All right. I'll read building seven blues. My pet lizard hadn't been himself since nine 11. He was staying out late, smoking DMT and running with the wrong crowd of Bohemian Grove banking executives. Sometimes he woke up before dawn to stand inside a pentagram and recite the Torah backwards until his eyeballs bled. He had a bad case of the building seven blues, but I never imagined he would take it this far. The other day under his cage, I found a stash of letters addressed to Henry Kissinger and a secret tunnel connected to hollow earth. That's when I realized my pet lizard was trying to take over the world. Things have escalated quickly. Now he's openly shapeshifting into Queen Elizabeth and babbling on about the transhuman agenda while I'm trying to watch TV. When I tell him to quiet down, he calls my DNA inferior and threatens to clone my sorry ass and send my original body to an experimental vaccine testing facility funded by the Gates Foundation. I should probably return him to the pet store, but he's the only company I've had since quarantine began, and I've grown attached to, to the little guy. I took him to the park. He tried to eat a baby, so we went to the movies instead. <laughs> he kept pointing to Tom Hanks and screaming, he's one of us, he's one of us, until the manager asked us to leave. He begged me to take him to Disney World. I know the owner, he said, but I felt nauseous from the chemtrails he snuck into my coffee. So we stayed home and watched unreleased footage of the moon landing instead. He remarked on Stanley Kubrick's cinematography. I kept my mouth and eyes wide shut. On JFK's birthday, he hung a poster of Aleister Crowley on my bedroom wall. That's just how it goes sometimes, he casually said. I came home from the grocery store and found a drunk Rothschild passed out on my couch. Empty pizza boxes were everywhere. The room reeked of forbidden Masonic wisdom and Vietnamese opium. My pet lizard was laying on the floor, snuggling with two underage Haitian boys, mixing psilocybin mushrooms with hydroxychloroquine, chatting with Ghislaine Maxwell on speakerphone. My dear, he crooned, you naughty bitch, your paycheck is on the way. That's when I told him he had to move out. The next thing I remember is waking up naked in New Jersey. Bombs were falling all around me. My memory and identity had been erased. An image of Saturn was tattooed on my forehead. My wrist was bleeding from the microchip injection. My testicles were gone. That damn lizard, I muttered. I should have gotten a cat instead. <laughs> yes, sir. That was all in, all of the things in one that was really well done there. And that was one of the ones I had pulled up to that I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad you opened the door there to those things. Now, 
in, in, in reading this book, I couldn't tell where you landed on these things. It was like, is he a believer or is he mocking it? You know, and that's how, when I think it's well done, you can't tell where the person really stands because you, you, you've you encapsulated it and put it into a oneness where it it's true. But it, a lot of these things, I mean, truthfully, it could be exaggerated. It could not be true at all. What do well, you think? I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these things do seem true. I mean, I mentioned Ghislaine Maxwell in in that poem. I mean, I, th- I think I think it's pretty clear that she's been evol- involved in some pretty in some some pretty bad things, right? So, you know, there are certain things that we kind of know are true. There are certain things that there is some evidence to um to make us believe that it is true. Um, so a lot of things in that poem are are based on real possibilities that I think people should know about. Um, but I think that the truth is usually um, a little more nuanced than we can believe. Like oh, even yeah. even even if there is truth to all of that, um, we probably don't know. Like the real full definitive truth, right? It's, it's like, it's different than we, we don't have enough evidence to know a lot of things, especially conspiracy theories for certain. So I try to hold, hold them lightly. So like there's truth to them, but the, the actual truth is probably a lot different and even more vast than we can imagine. So I don't get hung up on like, specific beliefs or specific conspiracies. Um, but I think there's a lot of truth to a lot of them. Have you ever encountered a, a UFO or an alien? Unfortunately not. I haven't had a lot of like metaphysical. The book makes it, um, it seem ex- like you have. Experiences. I mean, what's an alien, you know, like I, ideas are aliens. Like, right. like I said, like I, um, you know, Aliens, I think, are are are, are dimensional, um, you know, things, and so are ideas. So, like, we can have ideas that come into our head, and and those ideas are coming from a different dimension. So, like, in a in a literal sense, like aliens or ideas are a form of extraterrestrial intelligence because that idea didn't come from Earth; it popped into my head. Well, where did it come from? So, you know, the, the alien conversation is interesting because there's a lot of facets to it. But in terms of like of seeing or experiencing a physical thing, um, I've never had anything like that. Yeah, me neither, except on substances. Uh, and again, <laughs> and again, it's more like they're telepathically communicating. There's never been actually any visual except maybe on right. there's never been anything in the room with me that wasn't more than an inner talking monologue dialogue that things it was giving information that there's no way that my you know me as the person would understand or even know or have any idea of and then it would give me ideas and i would go outside and it would be like synchronistic very synchronistic it was like guiding me I, I swear to god when i first started taking mushrooms i was convinced that there were aliens on the moon communicating with me telepathically and everything they were saying was coming true. Everything I would do, I'd go outside and it would be like, they're going to be this and this outside, go outside and take a look at it right now. And it was like that. And I'm like, Oh my God. So that's my experience with um, 
aliens. I don't have much in the float tank too. I had a John Lilly like experience with beings trying to communicate with me, but again, nothing visual, all kind of like mental. I kind of think that all my writing is a, is a, is a collaboration. Channeling. With, yeah. With something, you know, cha- channeling, channeling is an interesting topic because you know, what, what, what are people channeling? Like some people are out there channeling the galactic federation and they're channeling the Pleiadians and whatever that, you know, that's one way to describe it. Other people are, are channeling messages from their ancestors and things like that. Some people think that they're connecting with their higher self. You know, some people are, think that they're getting messages from God, you know, our belief systems inform the framework that we use to think about where these ideas come from. I think it's all traces back to our own, our own intuition. And we just build stories around our own intuition. Mm-hmm. But where is that voice really coming from? I have no idea. It, maybe it is messages from, 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 from aliens. Like we don't know, but I do think that my work and much, um, you know, creative work in the world period is, is some kind of a collaboration between, you know, humans and another intelligence that's beyond our own. And we just, our job is to make ourselves as much of an open channel to receive the message and then to like actually execute it into physical form. But I think all creativity is, is a form of collaboration um, with some kind of external divine, you know, intelligence. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of you, a few concepts on that because I haven't been able to figure it out and it's probably not going to be able to be figured out, but my thoughts are this. Sometimes I think people are getting messages from angels or from whatever it, it wants to sh- reveal itself as. So that person will actually believe because I got to a point where I was doing these things and I'm like, okay, it all is one. Like I, I can see the grid of energy and I know I'm in this field and it's just weird. And I kind of, I kind of know what it is, although I can't predict it or really control it. Um, and so maybe things that are appearing as aliens or angels or ancestors are just a way for that higher mind to put in a form that you will accept. And then, cause you have to believe it to manifest through the belief. I think that's crucial. And I think when you encounter Somebody who doesn't necessarily understand the universe the way I do, if they encounter, based on their belief system, an angel, they're much more likely to take that advice and act on it strongly because of how the universe presented that information to them. That's my takeaway from psychedelics, which is there is, it's all one, and it just finds its way through different masks and personalities. And you're attracting these things too. Um, it's not like it's just random, but that, that's my takeaway, which is there's just one voice, which is it's the higher mind. And it takes many, many different forms. It's like, you've seen the meme. Maybe it was your meme, but it was like the hand, you know, the hand of God, but then it's like all the fingers and which is like, yeah. 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 That's not mine, but I know like, like it's like the concept. God is like um, flicking the being off of the cliff. Right. Exactly. That one too. And then God, but then God is also the one that's catching the being that falls off the cliff. Right. And, 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 And if you're in that space of like, meditative oneness or psychedelic oneness or the grace of God oneness. Cause sometimes it just happens for people. And it's like, I always wonder like what the hell was going on with people in church having an ecstatic experience with their hands up. I could never, as a Christian, I could never get like that. I could never have the ecstatic experience of a Christian 
Um, that was another thing. Like my mission has been to, um, not just for me, but I find people like online as well, having issues where they grew up a certain way, but they have to reconcile what they're learning with the nature of reality, with their belief system. And I do think that these belief systems, if viewed properly, all fit into the truth. It's just, you have to understand the truth to make that fit. And it's not the other way around. Like all these people like Muhammad and Jesus, they were the highest level of enlightened beings to the point of like painfulness. And that transmission is so perfect and good that it stands the test of time. It's just the truth. The truth doesn't go away. The truth doesn't die. I am the way I am the truth. I am the light, all that stuff. So that's what I look for. And uh, you definitely are one of those people that I think have mastered. I, now, what was your path? I know you grew up Christian and you had an awakening. How did that all happen for you? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty deep in the, in the church, quote unquote, growing up because that's how I was raised. So I was going to church every week. I was going to youth groups every week. I was going to like different con conferences with like, you know, kids, Christian leadership conferences and weird stuff like that. And my first con uh, even concert experiences were at these conferences and seeing like Christian rock groups and stuff like that. So that was a pretty big part of my childhood. And then at one point I remember like being in church and like looking around and being like, okay, look like, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure like this God thing is real, but I don't think that he or it or she or whatever is at all like, constricted to the four walls of this church it just i'm like whatever god is is like it's a much bigger concept than you know whatever's packaged in this religion so i kind of just like shed that you know identity you know when i was in high school and then i really went on you know kind of my own path, which was essentially non-religious, but that's when I really connected with artists, you know, poets and songwriters and artists of various kinds as, you know, that, you know, art and creativity essentially became my spiritual path. And it's that, that's, that's still the case, but along the way I, I discovered Buddhism. Um, I studied that. I got into meditation in New York. I um, got into Kundalini yoga and that's a pretty transformational practice. Uh, I actually went through like a whole program to become certified as a Kundalini yoga uh, teacher. And I, I don't actually teach it. I never have, but going through that was a, a really big initiation um, into that was probably my biggest initiation into the quote unquote, like spiritual world of the spiritual community was like through that initial um, door of Kundalini. Um, and then psychedelics have played a role in kind of helping to expand my consciousness. Uh, we would you recommend, Dao would, you, would you recommend psychedelics to people? Well, that's a hard thing to say because everyone's in their own situation. Right. So like, I don't think, I would, I don't think I'd give a blanket recommendation. Were they beneficial to you? I mean, obviously anything. They were. Yeah, certainly. You know, but a, a lot of people, you know, can, um, 
you know, it, it, it can become something that is a crutch because it's something that some people chase after and like there's i've been to ayahuasca i've been to ayahuasca ceremonies where it's like someone's like this is my 200th time doing ayahuasca and i'm like you still haven't got the message yet like what are you still searching for after Mm -hmm. 200 and that's not judgment like maybe their their journey is to do a thousand ayahuasca journeys and like that's perfectly fine but is it bringing them any closer to truth or happiness maybe not so I definitely think they're useful. I mean, especially because we're in a, we're in a situation now where the, the old world is dying. And that's what I was saying. We're like the whole world is going through a bit of the dark night of the soul where we're, we're kind of shedding the dead skin of history and, you know, getting ready to birth a, a new earth, a new society. Um, and that's going to take like a, like a quantum shift in consciousness. And I think that psychedelics help us understand what a quantum shift in consciousness looks like. Mm-hmm. So it helps us kind of picture um, and imagine a world beyond the constraints that we currently have as a society. And I think it's important to see something even momentarily so you can plant that seed in your imagination before it can be manifested on earth. So I do think it's, it's a bit of an initiation um, to go through that process. And I, I, I don't think it's an accident that people have really started to, to discover psychedelics and plant medicine in the past 10 years, because I do think it's prepared us and prepared our consciousness for the shifts that we're going to be seeing in society over the you know, that the upcoming years. Excellent. Excellent. Um, we'll see here. We are at about an hour and 45 minutes. I still got a little bit. You, you, you good still, or I got only a few more. We'll make, we'll make it quick here. Cause I got, yeah. I got to wrap it up too. I think two hours is a good, good stopping point. Are you a urine drinker? You ever get into that? I have not, but I, I, I have heard good things about it. Okay. Yeah, me too. I just haven't. Uh, now you're a vegan though. You, uh, or at least from what I've been able to tell from your Instagram, are you a vegan? Is that correct? Uh, no, no. I eat. Oh, okay. Um, I, 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 I don't eat red meat. That's kind of the only meat restriction that I have for myself. I didn't believe it for a while, but I'm almost convinced now that a lot of this stuff in the vegan movement is a psyop for getting people off of meat. Not, 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 not. I mean, it also has this weird thing, which is the interesting point of living in a a realm of duality, which is it's like, okay, yeah, maybe you shouldn't eat as much meat as we're eating. And so that's not a, necessarily a bad thing, but d- deleting it entirely, right. Not, not having it as an option that wanting you to eat the bugs, right. You know, about the, the world, uh, yeah. the global, world global economic form, whatever wants you to eat bugs and live in the pod and yeah, not have any land, not own anything and be happy with it. Diet's tricky. Like I, I feel good when I eat light. Like I, I, I could probably, I could probably be a vegan, but like my fiance requires meat to be healthy. I mean, some people like need red meat. So diet is a, such a personal thing. Like it's, it has, I think it has a lot to do with blood type. I do so too. Certain, certain people need to eat a lot of red meat. I don't need it. So I would hate to prescribe like a universal diet because people are so different, but I would say like the reason I stopped eating red meat, um, was mostly because of the, 
the farming, um, yeah, the, the, you the, know, the, the factory farming industry. That's the and thing. How yeah. Unsustainable that is rather than, you know, the meat itself. It's an unsustainable modern invention full of chemicals and pain and suffering. Whereas I think if mm-hmm. there was an ideal diet, if somebody asked me and, and I had to make a choice, I'd say the ideal diet for most people would be vegetarianism, Indian style, meaning you'd get the fresh milk and, and the products from the cow with no, you know, you just go squeeze it yourself and all those things you would, you know, not processed, not from a factory, not where the animals suffering. So you can still enjoy the cheese and the milk, but the Indians won't eat the cow. You know what I mean? So that kind of vegetarianism, I think would be ideal. I eat meat obviously from time to time. I've tried veganism. It doesn't work for me. I, I do agree with you. I think it's a blood type thing with a lot of people. You look at veganism, there's another thing. It's never been, nobody's ever been vegan in history, except for modern times, because you got to get stuff out of, uh, at least vegetarian, you got to get something out of the milk or something or the cheese. I know there's people out there that disagree with that, but from what I've read, there's not any society that's been vegan except for modern society. Yeah, that's a good point. And, just, um, yeah, I don't know if that's it's because just, it, well, it's, okay. Well, some people would say like, oh, we're, 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 we've reached the point in our consciousness where we no longer require it to sustain us. Um, but I don't know if that's true. Right. Well, anyway, I just wanted to get your take on that. Cause I'm going to move through these questions pretty quick. Um, you did float. You'd probably float again, obviously. Right. You liked it. Oh yeah. I would, I would, I would, I would like to, do, do you think new age, the new age movement is a psyop? <laughs> Uh, I think everything's a psyop. Yeah. Um, I don't think it is as a whole because I mean, the new age movement, that's a lot of, there's a lot of things under that umbrella. Right. And a lot of it is good. And I know people that are, you know, um, you know, a lot of it's good, but I think everything has elements of um, anything is susceptible to corruption. So I do think it's possible that, you know, certain individuals, <coughs> Deepak Chopra, <coughs> are mm-hmm. no. I'm just kidding, but uh, there are there, there could there there could be certain things compromised with certain people. Um, I know, like whatever, like there's certain new age quote guru types who like hobnob with Klaus Schwab and the Economic Forum and whatnot. Um, but I. I would be hesitant to say like everything that falls under that broad definition of new age is a psyop because it, it means a lot of different things to different people. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's a painting with a broad brush. Now, is it fair to say that you are God? <laughs> uh, yet we're all, we are all localized. Um, I think God is like the, it's, a, the, it's a it's a it's a loaded term and it's a very broad. Well, God brush. is the su- like God is the sum total of all consciousness, right? So like we are all aspects of consciousness, so we're all like a little tiny piece of God, right? And I totally definitely agree with that. But one of these big takeaways on acid, and not necessarily acid, but it could be any peak uh, experience. You could be cold breathing, you know, doing the Wim Hof stuff, anything, Kundalini. Uh, the oneness of you're like, you're, it's just a realization. I am God. But then you have to bring that back to reality. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not in a cloud throwing lightning on the ground. I'm not able to manifest anything I want at will. The second I think of it, 
so in that respect, I'm not God by that definition, but by definition of, yeah, the totality of everything in the universe and the oneness of everything, you're an aspect of that. It's like the classic blade of grass versus the field of grass or the ocean, I think is the best one in the wave that gets yeah. you know, individuated for 60, 70 years as you. And then you go back into the ocean, which was always you to begin with anyway. You are always the ocean. You are always God, but you individu- yeah. you individuated as a wave for a moment in time. I think any philosophy is only as good as its usefulness. And it's like, is it a useful belief to go through life thinking that you are God? Like, like, oh, I, I'm, I am, you know, I'm well, again, Jesus, it, it, I am it, God. Like, it depends on how you define God to the person experiencing your statement. Sure, sure. sure. Um, and like, I guess. But you could say that around like, me and I could be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I am too. I get that. But you could say that to someone else and like, oh, no, that's blasphemy. Burn them at the stake. Yeah, as long as it's not like coming from a place of ego, but it's right. coming from a place of like, you know. Well, that's the thing. I always teach people humility. You can't give something to somebody unless you have it yourself. Like you can't, I can't give you the space of oneness unless I'm there currently myself to give it to you or I've experienced that as a truth. So I can't just memorize a bunch of stuff in a book and then have you resonate with it if I haven't experienced it myself. And a lot of like sociopathic, psychopathic um, gurus, that's what they do. They're having an intellectual experience. They might have memorized some things. They 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 know how to work off people, and they give them what they want. Um, it's just a mirror game. And unconscious people, they fall right into it. So, anyway, mm. next, uh, moving on here. I like one of these ones here. It's a meme, and it's two faces, or it's two like heads. And one says my ego, and it says I'm having a nervous breakdown. And then the other ones, which is the higher self, is saying maybe it's a nervous breakthrough. I like that one because, yeah, the ego is this thing that you kind of want. I don't say people want to destroy their ego. I say you need to integrate your ego. What about you? Yeah, totally. I mean, it serves a purpose, right? Like the ego is what gives us our individual identity on earth. And um, it's got an important role, but it's like more... um, it shouldn't necessarily be like steering the ship. I, I say it's the motor. Mm. I say it's the motor because it's your karmic propensities. But if you can get those things in service to the light, then you're golden. Like you don't need to. Everybody's like everybody who's new to psychedelics. They're like, oh, take enough to destroy your ego. And I agree with that. You need to take enough psychedelics where you're not half there able to not let go. Because when you take enough psychedelics, it's impossible to hold on. That's when you know you've taken the right dose. If you want to get to that point where. Like, like there would be points in the float tank where I'd have control. I wouldn't have taken enough or I waited too long to get in the tank. And then my ego persisted through it somehow. I didn't take enough or I waited too long. And it would say, nope, I'm not going to lay here and let you get dissolved into nothing. I can't handle it. I don't want to do it. Get out. Whereas if you take enough, you're just over. You don't over, have a choice. You don't have a choice. Yeah. So, well, like the subtitle, when I put out shit, your ego says, the subtitle was strategies to overthrow your ego and become the hero of your story. Now, I, I actually wish I could, I could go back and change that subtitle. Cause I don't like that term, like overthrow your ego. Like now I would probably phrase it more along the lines of like how to make, how to make friends with your mind. Cause it's more about that kind of relationship you have with your own ego, as opposed to this, like, violent like overthrowing of the ego's control 
Well, the, the ego and the mind, especially when you get these psychedelic, quiet, spiritual float tank spaces or just meditative in your own, it's you're not your mind. Most people think they're their mind and they're, they're this, this, this narrative going through their head a thousand miles an hour a day is who they are. And you get enough space between that and then you can start to work with it. But that's the key. That's why I continue to push floating is it's a default um, meditation practice for somebody who physically can't sit there still long enough, literally. Yeah. Floating is similar to psychedelics in the sense that you don't really have a like meditation. Like it requires you to like follow through and like do it. But with psychedelics or floating, it's like you're going to you're going to get there either way. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I like that. Uh, you're not having a nervous breakdown. You're having a breakthrough. I like that. You're changing perspective. Yeah. I think that like cr- uh, crisis and expansion are the same thing. And that's what the dark night of the soul is. Well, right? that's why the because... Yeah, exactly. That's why the ego is suffering too, because it doesn't want to let go of those old modalities, which are by virtue right. of Tao, the thing that's happening, you are no longer a possibility or uh, diminishing every, as a possibility. Every breakthrough starts with a breakdown. Oh, I, I love it. I, I I need to be reminded of these things myself constantly. Um, that yes, me, me it, too. It's not going to go the way I want today. Like when I get in an accident, I'm like, oh god, everything I just had on this line of events today is now ruined. Why did God want to stop me? And it's usually pretty obvious when I'm at this level why things are happening to me. I usually don't repeat the things, same things twice because. Um, how out of alignment things uh, pre- uh, present themselves at this point. It's like glaring and it's like, do how fast do I want to put this fire out? You know, at this point, just, and, and it's usually like, okay, it's stepping outside of my ego is usually the answer and serving that person or thing as God and trying to be in that space of unconditional oneness and love for that situation. But it's hard to do, obviously. Mm. I feel that. That's the practice. I mean, every day I'd sit at that float center and I'd be pretty blissed out in my own little world until somebody I didn't know was becoming up on the schedule. And I don't get nervous or anything, but I'm like, well, what's going to happen here? Because I got to a point where I would really change how I was presenting myself, things I was saying by virtue of the person walking through the door. And so it was a game of sometimes their anxiety or their nervousness would, I wasn't centered enough to overtake their energy. And so sometimes I might get caught in a whirlwind, whirlwind of somebody else's nervousness. But I always noticed that my judgment would change towards each person. And I always, I always knew this as a practitioner, but to not judge, because that really reveals the truth. But you have an ego. You have things you've built up over time where you have judgments. And for example, somebody raggedy looking would walk through the door and I would give them a good judgment. Now I wouldn't necessarily even be judging people in a negative way. It just proves that even when you judge somebody good, it's not good to judge. And so this raggedy ass person, I would think, oh, they don't have any money. I want to hook them up and give them a discount. But then they'd come to pay at the end and they'd be pulling out a fat stack of money and they'd be wanting to tip me. And, and I would catch myself not, you know, giving them the discount at that point. But at certain points I was like tricked by my judgment, even though like the judgment was in the, in the favor of what I was judging. So I just, it, it, every, every day, everything that triggers you is an opportunity to practice, to step back and say, why am I not blissed out? Why is this thing interrupting my center? That's really my game is to protect my center. As long as the center inside of me is centered, uh, it's usually a relative reflection of that. What about you? 
Yeah, I love that. And every challenge we face throughout the day is just an, an invitation and a reminder to return back to your center. Yeah. It's like you're getting out of the parameters of your own peace of mind and your own cent, you know, center. And it's like friction is when we hit those walls that kind of make us, you know, return back. So we can get frustrated by those things or we can use it as, aha, it's just kind yeah. of the universe is nudging me back where I need to go. I get mad when I'm in traffic screaming at illusions. Like, why am I getting mad for one thing? And why am I sometimes the righteous acts of these people? Because that's the other thing. It's like, okay, sometimes you have to be for unconscious people, like the thing that slaps them. But you, I've learned to slap people. I call it the righteous acts of judgment. There's certain times where people are just habitually stepping the line with you and you know it's unconscious. You know you can't move from the situation, but, but you know, you got to address it. And so you find a way. Sometimes you just got to be a dickhead to somebody and realize that that's the righteousness unconsciously that they attracted, that they deserved. Like, okay, I'm flicking you off in traffic now, not because I'm a bad person or an asshole, but because you needed to get a middle finger in your face today to realize you're driving shitty. Now, that's just me making excuses for my bad behavior. But sometimes I'm like, okay, for example, here's another, here's another way I try to justify, like, why does God do certain things? Perfect example is this. An old person laid up in a, in, a, in a nursing home that is being abused by a young person. Now, we go to karma with this. Why is this happening? Is it just, is this old person just getting, is this like a randomly nice person just getting beaten? But I'm thinking like, maybe we're not privy to it, but maybe in this life that this old person lived, they were abusive to people. They hurt people. And although we're sympathetic and we should be, I don't think anybody should be abused, even if they've been abused themselves or been, or been an abuser. But I try to reconcile, like, why did bad things happen to people? Um, and sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes it's not. And I'm not saying necessarily that's even the truth, but it's like trying to understand things and why God does things, trying to flip it. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here. So pull me, pull me back. I know it's my podcast, but you're a podcaster too. You can, you can pull it together. No, I feel it. I you know what I'm saying. You know, I, I do. And it's, yeah, it's hard. Have sometimes. you ever been the righteous acts? Are you like the righteous acts to people? Like you, you just, you know, you're a nice person, you're a sinner, you know, the way of the, of the Tao, but yet sometimes and it's because it's, you're, you're trying to do the right thing, but you have to be like, a, you, not even you are a prick, but you're perceived as a prick. I think my tendency would be more towards like, if that's like the fight or flight, and then you're talking about like getting into fight mode almost, I think my tendency would be more to like retreat. Uh, okay. Like, for example, I had to fire a woman that worked at the float center when we took over and she was wonderful. She was a friend of mine, but you know, it's like, sometimes you got to deliver the bad news and it was about being as artful and craftful and, and loving and calm. And like, things are better out, not working here. And you're going to do, you know, like encouragement that this is not where you need to be being more of a, it was more of a um, lesson in oneness. Yeah. And we need to, we're guiding people as well. Right. Like what is the Ram Dass quote? Like we're all just walking each other home. Right. Like, we need to kind of guide each other. And if she wasn't in the right position, like, yeah, like you're in, a, you, you just happen I mean, to be in a position she, she, to help she push, push her along on her journey. But sometimes nice people have to do 
things that aren't sure. perceived as a great thing. But you're but in the in the larger order of reality, it's working out for your favor. That's why I tried to sell her on. I'm like, look, honey, it ain't working out here. Um, I love you to death. You're you're probably gonna go off and, and not work here in three months anyway. If we kept you, X Y Z. And then her mom came in. I had to refire in front of her mom. Um, <laughs> mom brought her lunch in the middle of me letting her go. <laughs> and somehow I was able to convince her to keep working that day, you know, which was great. So it all it's worked out. Funny. Well, the thing is, too, I just have to go in every situation as honest as possible, because I truly believe if you're living some kind of a half lie, you're going to get a half lie reality mirrored back to you. So even if it again, this is like the credit to my no shame, I'm able to say how I feel. And, and, and unless the cost is really, really high, almost every time I wanted, I want the truth to be known. And there's almost no, uh, you know, the thing is like, even if you worry about telling the truth and something bad is going to be happening because of it, like really understand the truth will set you free. And the universe is infinitely multidimensional and pulling you out of situations that you can't even begin to fathom. But it starts with you stepping into courage and then the truth. Amen, brother. Well, I'm supposed to be saying amen, brother, to you, but uh, <laughs> so my friend, any, I mean, we could go on for another hour for sure, but I need to wrap it up and this will be a nice solid two hours. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a very enjoyable conversation. Thanks for having me on. And Likewise, um, I'm glad we didn't get too dark with it as much as we could have with a lot of these things. And again, that speaks to what I just said, which was you kind of match the frequency of the person you're around. And if they're low, mm. unless you're really, really strong and conscious, you get dragged down a lot of times with them, but you're on the same vibe of me, if not higher. So I, I'm benefiting from the pulley, the upward pull. Actually, I'm benefiting from the upward pull of hanging out with you. So thank you for that. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, ditto. So no, that's, that's reflected back to you. And, um, yeah, I would, I'll just say that, you know, I, I enjoy your interview style. It's very casual and it leaves a lot of space for contemplation and, and nuanced answers. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really fun conversation. Thank you. You know, the goal of this podcast, and it's impossible because you know you're being recorded, is I would love it to be like, I just pick up the phone and I call you and it's like, I talk about a few things like I would just talk on the phone and like people are privy to our phone call. But uh, it's really, it's, it's like, you know, you're being watched, you know, you're going to act differently. That, that class. Yeah, case. but we can get close to that. I mean, it's definitely not well, like a well, hardcore well, interview. Like, some. well, that's the thing too. Like you're right about my interview style is like, there's certain people I want to interview, but I'm like, I really want to ask the hard questions and I'm not going to interview them unless I, 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 I'm going to do that. And I'll even, uh, I've had opportunities to interview people that would have been probably next level in terms of gets, but I don't care about gets. I care about what's interesting to me and what, where I can get the most truth. And I know if I just powder puffed a celebrity and didn't ask about certain things, it would be fucking bullshit. So I appreciate your candor, your honesty. It resonates and it, uh, I'm sure. And, and that's the thing. Everything I like is like truthful as much as possible. I think that's why we all crave reality TV. It's as close as we can get. Or maybe you don't crave TV at all. I crave it. <laughs> I've been watching. This is a, just like a side. I, I, I've just like watched like YouTube videos or whatever. Me so too. Like, that's what I crave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My past, my past two weeks, I've been binging like every David Bowie interview on YouTube that I yes, can find. Yes, I get into those zones. <laughs> it's like I find something interesting about something I never knew about, or yeah, like I find some new artist, or I find an old artist that they oh a new interview with this person came out. It was in a vault for twenty years. Here it is. 
Stuff yeah, it's like fun that. to watch. Like, like um, I like watching artists talk about their work, and even like watching the creative process. Like the um, there's a new Beatles documentary that just came out that's eight hours long, and it is 100% made of footage of them recording their last album in real time. And directed and by Pete Jackson. Yes, amazingly, it was compiled like all well, yeah, the footage compiled, was compiled yeah. and edited and produced by peter jackson of lord of the rings fame but it's just amazing to see like the greatest band ever recording their last album while they're on the verge of breaking up like that's a piece of content that <laughs> i'll sign up for i know it's amazing how we get these things years after it's always amazing to see what the infinite space of variables will pull out for us because um Mm. I get treat. I mean, that's I'm an I'm an internet person. I, I get so many treats on YouTube, and I love watching independent con- uh, content creators the most. The more amateur it is, almost unless it's so amateur that the audio quality is poor, uh, I love it. Yeah, there's some more truth. It's just something organic and natural. And the more produced something is, I think you you know the like you said, if it's just a podcast where people just like find celebrities to interview, it's just it's just there's just something that doesn't, there's just something inauthentic about it. Whereas stuff that's more natural, like your podcast or some random YouTube show, it's just, there's less of a barrier between that person and the viewer and where that person's coming from and where, and how you're receiving it. It's just a lot more truthful. Well, that's the thing. I'm so, I'm like holding Caulfield. Everybody's phony, man. I just, I've always resonated with that, that I, I hated the fact they wouldn't show us the things on the news. It was like, oh, you can't see this because we've deemed that it's too graphic for you. I want to see it. I want to know the truth. I want to know what's going on. I want realness. And out of my lack, out of my just like, even the stuff that's on YouTube, ton of it's just fake bullshit stuff. And it's like, or, or if it's real, it's, 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 it's either against or for a, a, a narrative, which is false, the mainstream media narrative. So you've got a bunch of talking heads on both sides chirping and bullshitting about a, a narrative that's an agenda that's not really an organic one of the people and so even that's trash to me and so i'm creating this content for myself and if i can yeah talk to people like you and uh create this network of people we can do our own thing eventually like terrence mckenna always talked about create your own roadshow uh and, and i saw a yeah. thing that uh, i saw a thing the other day was like when you're looking up to people and following them, you're just like following people who are or, or probably more lost than you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would just encourage everyone listening to make art and that could be anything that could be starting a podcast. Yes. It could be starting a, a YouTube show it could be making memes, it could be write, writing poetry because like the, we're talking, like we live in a very artificial world. Like it's like a big puppet show. Mm-hmm. And even if people, even the people that are still asleep and that are like sucked into that mindset even they like there's yeah right there's still like this you can even they can like feel whether or not something's real like there's a certain frequency and oh yeah that resonates from something that's real or something that's staged that's what i'm talking about that's exactly what i'm talking about so just make art and make it real and put it out there because the world is starving for realness because we live in an artificial world so whatever you want to do write make art podcast just like make it as real as possible because that's the frequency that people are craving 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. James, it's been a pleasure. Um, one of we'll my do it favorite, again sometime. Yeah, one of my favorite interviews. It's been a, I wanted to talk to you for a while. I'm glad it finally happened. You can find him at Words Are Vibrations, at Words Are Vibrations on Instagram. I think your Twitter is at WRD underscore VBS. Yeah, my other, my other, I got suspended from Twitter last year. So that's my backup account. Oh, right. Oh, I totally know that. Okay. I Home- fell victim of that homesick alien club podcast you can listen there are you creating new episodes on a what a monthly weekly daily basis what are you doing i don't give myself a schedule i let it i try to do every two weeks but i don't have a uh yeah i don't give myself a lot of hard like deadlines or restrictions i I try not to either and uh mine's about every two weeks now depending Uh, and like i said you're the first interview of the new season it was a pleasure any last words well, the pleasure is all mine. And um, my last words are, you are enlightened. Oh, you took them right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you are enlightened. All right. Let me find the, the button to stop recording. Uh, 